Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking to Helen Freres about the board's role in developing your disability action plan. First, let me tell you about Helen. Helen is a community sector professional with key strengths in capacity building, training delivery, program design and coordination. She's currently the Health Services Manager at Women with Disabilities Victoria. Helen is also a fellow of the Williamson Community Leadership Program. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Helen. Thank you, Helia. It's very nice to be here. It is fabulous to have you and... uh, Shout out to Olivia Ball, actually, who introduced us many years ago, and I'm so pleased that she did. Yes, (laughs) indeed. So, Helen, before we talk about the board's role in developing disability action plans, as always, I would love to dig just a little bit deeper about you. Tell me, what was young Helen like? And maybe a, a story about young Helen that tells us a little bit about where you got to today. Well, I hate to think what she was like, but unfortunately, life has moved on. But um, in terms of <laughs> stories, I guess I had a, a range of experiences. We, we talk at Women with Disabilities about intersectionality, and that resonates a bit because I grew up and still have a, a, dis- a disability. So I experienced the education system with a disability and the implications that that had for being perhaps an outsider socially mm. in that system. And I also grew up in a situation where my parents spoke a language other than English, which wasn't quite such a disadvantage, but they also had particular ideas about gender roles, which as I grew into adolescence, you know, there was a little bit of conflict there mm. about what different genders should be doing with their lives. So I quite early on developed an interest in the things that brought people together in society and the situations where people were perhaps feeling apart from the rest of society and that led me to study humanities and then social work and 
fairly early on in my tertiary education when there were some accessibility issues around getting access to texts and materials at the same time and at the same proportion as other students and that wasn't happening I along with some others joined a an advisory committee for the the library at the time who was servicing our needs from the particular blindness organization that it was and we were able to do a little bit of um, policy development and advocacy around the needs of the recipients of that service mm -hmm. and how we thought that that should look like and hopefully that brought about a bit more responsive service for students and other people who used the library. Mm, fantastic. I did not know, like, Helen, I've known you for, I think, five years or thereabouts. I did not know any of those things. It's part of what I love about this podcast. I get to know more about people as well. Wow, that is fantastic. And I have no doubt that your advocacy Sounds like from quite a young age, uh, possibly some advocacy within the home there as well, I suspect. I'm not sure that that quite got the, the outcomes that, we, yeah, we talk about measurable outcomes in advocacy and I don't know that the, the outcomes could be really measured um, mm. in that place, but yeah, we all still, yeah, love each other. <laughs> well, that's a pretty good measurable outcome, to be honest, Helen, because uh, it doesn't always happen in that way. And, you know, you are a um, <clears throat> strong woman, shall we say, uh, who advocates not just for yourself, I suspect, on almost a daily basis, but for others as well. So, uh, yeah, that is fantastic. And I'm, I'm interested, you said your parents spoke a language other than English. Do, what language? And do you speak the other language? I didn't know that either. So they spoke Greek, speak Greek. Oh. I don't really. It's not, oh. it's not. It's not a very strong part of my identity. Right, right. There you go. Oh, I love it. I'm getting to learn new things about people as well. Thank you. <laughs> so, Helen, today I wanted to talk about disability action plans and what boards need to know. There's gender action plans now for those organisations in Victoria. There's reconciliation action plans, disability action plans. And you've been involved in the development of these for various organisations. And I think it would be a really useful thing for boards to know what is a disability action plan and what's their role in it. So, in fact, let's start there. What, what is a disability action plan? Yes, at the outset, if we think about the role that boards have in organisation, an accessibility action plan, which is the, the terminology that is most commonly used now for that sort of document, is an outward sign, public sign of an organisation's intention to eliminate discrimination, mm -hmm. uh, remove barriers, and it outlines, it's a plan really, for how an organisation will go about thinking through and resolving barriers to access and then documenting how the progress towards the removing of barriers will be measured. Lots of organisations do these and I'm, I'm glad that you've picked me up on the terminology there, an accessibility action plan. Is there a requirement that, that organisations do it or is it just, a, just inverted commas, a good thing for organisations to do? 
Yes, there may be, I guess, legislative reasons why an organisation might choose to do it. It's not compulsory, certainly not in, in the not-for-profit sector in which I predominantly work, it's not compulsory. Mm-hmm. Organisations can choose to lodge their accessibility action plans with the Human Rights and Equal Opportunity Commission, the Commonwealth, mm-hmm. because that's, that becomes then a very public statement of their intentions to recognise and eliminate barriers. And it's a really good sign for people to see those action plans and know that an organisation is serious regarding its obligations under Commonwealth and state disability legislation. Mm-hmm. Small organisations might choose not to do that, but can still publicly, should they wish, display their accessibility action plan on their website or make it otherwise known to their customers and stakeholders. So it's a, it's a good thing for them to do. And indeed, you know, reflecting on your opening when you were talking about the library and the some accessibility issues there, perhaps if that organisation had done their accessibility action plan, there wouldn't have been a need for you to join the committee, although maybe that wouldn't have been such a good thing. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting because they were a, a disability-specific service. Wow. So their whole business was accessibility. And because for a number of reasons and things have changed, obviously, in that context now from where we were in the early 90s to where we are now, there are a number of reasons why students didn't have complete and equal access to study materials. And although we haven't achieved that currently, um, we were even further back then than we are now. Yes, they're a good thing for organisations to do so that, you know, we can ensure that they're really inclusive and people aren't experiencing those sorts of barriers in whatever way they might be. Yeah. I guess, too, if we think about the role of governance, what a board does in an organisation, it fits really well within the board's mission because, you know, I guess boards, directors, you know, we manage the branding of an organisation and it's, it's public presentation to the world. We manage its reputation where we also do a lot of work around risk management. So there is a risk if if an organisation does inadvertently have barriers to access that people can make a claim legally against that organisation and the Accessibility Action Plan is, I guess, a written statement about recognising and removing barriers. But I guess boards also do are responsible for overseeing an organisation's overall policies, which is where, you know, an action plan sits. And it's, I guess, most importantly, directors model best practice. You know, cultural change is achieved through leadership and directors, obviously, the highest form of that in an organisation. And it can then hopefully model the practice to the senior leadership and to the staff of the organisation itself. Such a great summary right there and there about what the board's role is in this. So, you know, it it ticks a number of boxes for boards and their roles around the leadership of the organisation, around risk, around the policy framework and so on. So presumably boards can, you know, prompt maybe that this happens or support it if the executive team bring it to them. And then what's their role? Is it, inverted commas, just saying, hey, organisation, get on and do your disability action plan and then bring it back to us once you've done it? What's the board's role? Well, um, you know, directors, boards as a whole can obviously offer guidance in, in that process and may choose to be part of 
working groups or subcommittees where some of the work is, is done or certainly oversee the working groups who take on that role. Mm. Of course, because the, the board's role is strategic rather than operational, there, there may be some delegation involved, mm. but certainly taking an interest in that process and championing it through the organisation, as it were, can be a vital sign of, of the organisation's commitment to the process. And then as they're championing that through the, the process and, you know, even seeing it come back, what should they be looking for, both in the development of the plan and when the plan comes back to them? What should boards be looking for? Okay. I guess if we think about what the plan does or, you know, how it appears, it's a description of the barriers that an organisation recognises and the, how those barriers will be removed. And it's a, it's a proactive way of removing barriers. So it's a policy, it informs the organisation how it acts. It's also a public statement. So if a board is, is working in that framework, they can actually ensure that it, it has the elements that are going to make it useful for the organisation. So when they're checking it through or being part of the process, developing it for the first time, they can just check to make sure that the organisation is actually making sure that its spaces and services are accessible. So thinking really strategically and closely about what does this organisation do? Yeah. Where are we going strategically? How can we link the accessibility action plan to overall organisational strategy? So it's not a reinvention of things. It's a, um, an elaboration of what's already going on. It can also be about just checking the, that the targets that, that are set are realistic and achievable yeah. and can actually be monitored and reviewed in a useful way. And it doesn't just sit there and become something that's, that looks nice but may not achieve very much for the organisation. Mm. So I think boards have a key role, as they do with reviewing other organisational policies, business plans, to keep those ideas in mind when reviewing the accessibility action plan as well. Yeah, so it keeps it alive, yeah, as you say. And, you know, directors also have a role in promoting it to, yeah. to the organisation's stakeholders. So it's about improving services to people who engage with the organisation, whatever capacity, but also enhancing the image, perhaps acquiring new stakeholders. Mm. Um, it's a great lever for funding as well, um, mm. if that's an issue, um, for revenue or for funding if it's a, a non-profit organisation. Mm. As in once, once you've got your accessibility action, yep. Yes, yeah, it can be a real asset to the way that an organisation functions and appears. Those in the Take On Board community probably know that I'm on the board of the Royal Women's Hospital and I know in one of the reports that we got around our accessibility action plan, one of the things that was such a simple, and you'll see the irony of that in just a moment, thing, one of the things that was communicated to us was around Having simple communications, I think it was, you'll correct me if I'm wrong here, Helen, but around using simple English and, oh my goodness, I just wish simple English was used everywhere. It's an accessibility thing for those of us who do speak English as a first language as well because it just gets rid of weasel words. Yes, but, and that's a, a key point, Helia, not just about the over-jargonisation of language mm. in society, but it's it's a really key example of how an accessibility action plan can highlight fairly simple changes, yeah. but 
changes that have a profound effect on the way that the organisation operates and appears. One of the really important aspects of an accessibility action plan is that it allows for changes to be planned. So there's a recognition of what might need to change and when to do it and how to do it, but it's also a managed change. So there's incremental progress can be targeted and documented, and then from that progress, new goals can be set that, that link to the previous ones. So over time, Anyone who has dealings with the organisation, from directors to staff to stakeholders to just members of the public, can see change happening. Mm. What's the period of time for a disability action plan? Is it normally a 12-month plan or a three-year plan or a 10-year plan? Well, I guess it can be as long as the organisation thinks it requires to make change. Mm. And, you know, people who have legal knowledge can perhaps correct me. And we might leave this out. (laughs) It's about an organisation really being clear about what needs to change and how long realistically will it take to bring about changes that are meaningful. Yeah. And, you know, my guess is that that's an ongoing process. It's not like you all of a sudden is like, woohoo, you're accessible. Yeah. it's, It's an ongoing process, I'm guessing. Because needs change, strategy changes, life changes. We saw, you know, 2020 last year, nobody predicted what was going to happen in 2020 Mm. and we're still reeling from that of course and we found actually what a lot of disability organizations found was that somehow people with disabilities weren't part of the broader conversations about how we respond Mm. and implement policy around Mm. the pandemic that we've had somehow there was a lot of discussion and discourse about us being vulnerable but not a lot of involvement by people with disabilities in the response. Interesting. And that, of course, led to some quite unintended consequences for people just around not being able to access goods and services, services changing in their delivery and that being positive in some instances and not so positive in others. Mm. And then, you know, that also says to me that an accessibility action plan, it's not only about are the signs in simple English that everybody can understand, is the documents you're providing able to be read by a screen reader, is there uh, ramps and lifts? It's not just actual those sorts of accessibility, but also are we engaging people in the policy framework of what all of the people in the policy framework and doing with, not for... Yes, having a sense of who the stakeholders are in an organisation, engaging them at the outset um, in any planning. It also has a lot to do with employment within organisations, whether that be not-for-profit government or private business. Employment is a huge issue for people with with a huge barrier for people with disabilities because Uh the unemployment rate is higher. And organisations have a really positive chance of setting some targets and some strategies around employing people with disabilities in their accessibility action plan, linking it to their other employment frameworks too. There's the, yeah, accessibility in terms of some of the physical makeup of things, engaging your stakeholders as well so that we're not leaving the voice out in the work that you do and some of the uh, practical maybe, things around making sure you're employing people as well, which also, it links back to the other things about stakeholders too, doesn't it? Like if if 
people can see themselves in the workforce of an organisation, then they're more likely to be engaged uh, in the work that they're doing as well. well. Yes. And if they're seeing themselves in the people who work for the organisation, there can be a greater likelihood of relating to the organisation. Yes. Yeah. And relating to people at different levels of the organisation. And so does that mean uh, like part of the employment at different levels of the organisation as well? How do um, accessibility action plans deal with that? Yes. Well, I guess, again, identifying that as a target is something that the organisation wants to work on and change. Mm -hmm. There have been, you know, initiatives at, at different times over the years that have offered employment. And, and some of those initiatives have provided, I guess, employment at certain levels in an organisation where people perhaps might not be visible and they might be, you know, in the mailroom, which is mm. fine, except that some people might actually want to do have other skills and might want to exercise those skills in another way. There mm. might be people who would like to be directors and yeah. that is also an option that should be equally available. And so an organisation thinking about how they will proactively engage with people with disabilities to um, ensure that they can find a place within an organisation as an employee, as a director, as a consumer, as a volunteer, possibly, mm -hmm. in the hospital context, as a patient. There might not be a lot of choice about whether someone becomes a patient, but when they, if they do, then that they have as positive experience as that can be. So... I'm wondering if there is a, an example or a case study that you can provide for people about an organisation that's done it well. Um, probably well, there are many organisations who, who are doing it really well. Mm. But one that I have worked with, mm. whose name I won't release because I don't have their consent, but they're a not-for-profit organisation, non-government organisation, who work around policy and advocacy for women. Mm -hmm. And they do it, they're, they're regional, so they do a lot of work in the region around women's issues affecting women, prevention of violence, access to health services, access to other services, and ensuring that the, the rights um, and perspectives of women are factored into that particular region. They've engaged with my organisation, um, employing organisation around you know, becoming more disability inclusive in a particular area, which is the prevention of violence against women. Mm -hmm. um, there's a recognition that the rates of violence against women with disabilities are higher than across the population. And that when that violence occurs, it's of longer duration in more settings mm -hmm. and probably with more perpetrators as well. So the work that they did was engage with us and think really closely about, you know, what are the areas where they could make immediate changes? And so they were able to do that quite practically by whenever they held events, when, you know, back in the olden days when we were still having face-to-face -face events, they thought they could easily update their registration processes so that if accessibility requirements were mentioned, they could proactively do something about them before people turned up at events and found there were barriers to their attendance. Thinking more longer term about what was happening, they 
recognised that because they were doing some renovations to their premises were, were due, mm. it might be well to think about accessibility of the premises in which they operated mm. and actually factor that into the renovation plans. And some practical aspects that came out of that was automatic doors so that people mm. could actually enter the building independently. So it can be, you know, obviously a very proactive process around some of these things, but also opportunistic is what I'm hearing there. It's like if things are happening anyway, help to guide. And this is, I think what was key and what was impressive about that work is that they linked the accessibility, and they are actually developing an accessibility action plan, I believe, based on some work that we did with them. But they're thinking about what's already happening in the organisation. How can we build inclusion and accessibility into that process? Mm. And then thinking about the renovation and how that could be an opportunity. Oh, Helen, these conversations always go too quickly and it has, as always, been, you know, a mine of gold. What are the key things you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? I guess some key points are that although it sounds overwhelming, an accessibility action plan isn't as difficult as might be first perceived mm. because it fits well within the, the remit of directorship around managing risk, reputation, overseeing policies and modelling um, what happens in an organisation. Mm -hmm. And if done well and, and thoughtfully, it should link very closely into the organisation's strategy and existing plans. Mm. Again, the key role of boards is to uh, keep that strategic direction and uh, this fits perfectly with that. Although there, you know, is a process involved of thinking through and managing the likelihood of discrimination claims, mm. it can be beneficial to think of accessibility action plans as a positive and proactive step to, think, to reducing barriers and engaging more people with the organisation than Absolutely. It's a much broader approach, isn't it? And, and much more supportive of inclusivity. We're a big fan of diverse boards here at Take On Board and uh, having people with a disability in the boardroom is just as relevant as any other part of it. And I suspect if there was more people with a disability in the boardroom, then there would be more accessibility action plans being done as well, which would be a good thing. Is there a resource you would like to share with the Take On Board community? Yes, a fairly basic one. The, the website of the Human Rights and Equal Opportunity Commission has um, a section on disability or accessibility action planning and action plans that have been lodged with the commission by organisations. So anyone who is thinking about the process, not sure what it involves, what action plans look like, can view them for themselves and determine what best works for their organisation. Oh, that is a fantastic resource, Helen. Thank you. I will definitely make sure that's there and people can get a bit of a look about what the outcome will be, but that will give them, them an indication of what the process is all about as well. Oh, fantastic, Helen. Thank you so much for coming and demystifying uh, accessibility action plans for us and giving us some really practical tips about what boards need to think about and how they might be able to get it moving along incredibly valuable. So thank you for taking the time to share your wisdom with the Take On Board community today. Thank you, Helia, and I hope we'll see more accessibility action plans soon. Hi there, it's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. 
Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.